Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Like, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! Absolutely fantastic! Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal! It is just what Pierre Emerick Aubameyang does. Gabriel Martinelli has equalised for the Gunners! Welcome back to the Different Knock Podcast, episode number 50 summon with Alexander Moneypenny <laughs> and the Cranky Clop. Uh, Bradley Adams. Bradley Adams, oh. how you going? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, last night could have been a panic attack. Uh, and, Ooh, and I was yeah. I was pretty angry for a while. There was a sort of 20-minute period in the second half where I was... I was <laughs> I almost got a pen out and was like gesticulating Monday night football style to my flatmates. Like, like where? Look there. It's, it, like, it, yeah. was all the, it was all the where we're going <laughs> wrong. Jamie we, Carragher, yeah. Yes, which we will get into, oh. but I, I'm glad we won. Um, yes, exactly. We were very um, lucky to. We were very lucky to, Jesus Christ. An indeed. El Nenaissance moment. Ugh. Oh, well, as he's come up, do you want a fact? Yeah, go on, go on. Here is... Things you didn't know about Mohammed El Nenny. Nee. <laughs> Mohammed El Nenny is friends with Roger Federer. Oh. That was. Things you didn't know about Mohammed El Nenny. Nee. I might, I might just do ours singing instead of the jingle. Yeah, literally just, just that. There you go. I found that out this morning because he used to play for FC Basel, and uh, Roger course. Federer yeah, 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 yeah. is Swiss, and they're a Swiss team. There you go. Oh, wow. Well, the more you know. There you go. Uh, in honour of Mohamed Anani's absolute screamer. I mean, the, the whip he got on it was beautiful. Oh. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, right, any any nonsense before we get into the game? Uh, nah, mate, nah. Um, other than, oh, obviously it's nothing to do with Arsenal, but the news has come out this kind of, I think it was today that uh, Chris Wilder's left Sheffield United, which is a yeah. big shark. Yeah. Um. Again, it's all conjecture clacks Warning. and stuff at the moment. Conjecture ahead. It's not, it's not been released as to whether it's a sacking, a resignation. Uh, from the wording, I think he's been sacked. But even then, like it's just, it just seems it's very strange. And obviously, it's 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 second season syndrome, you know. And lots of teams have gone through it, where they've had a great first season in the league and then don't recruit well. But what are Arsenal having? Like the. 90 oh, second God, like, season syndrome or whatever. <laughs> I was thinking about this though. Like <laughs> it obviously comes from like our feeling as Arsenal fans. Like, so in 2004, I was eight years old. I don't, I wasn't really like alive enough to remember winning the league when we did for the last time, but alive <laughs> enough. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, I don't really have like, as in, like, I don't really have like yeah, strong yeah. memories about the feelings yes, yeah. that, that, ca- that came from winning the premier league. 
Um, and we had this chat a bit before about Arsenal fans being quite spoilt uh, in their attitude about a lot of things. Um, and it's it's just really, really interesting to see because like, we're still playing European football. And obviously, you are allowed as a fan to not be pleased when your standards are not being met or previous standards have not been met. I'm not saying that that's not, an, not a thing. I'm just saying it's really, really interesting to see how, like, obviously, we we view this as a real down patch and, like, uh, a real tough time to be an Arsenal fan. Whereas you're looking at a, you look at a club like, you know, like Sheffield United, Fulham, or like our mate Danny, who uh, I, we shouted him out on the last podcast, but uh, go give a follow to the Yorkshire Magpie on Instagram and YouTube, uh, does some great stuff. Like being a, not, a Newcastle fan right now, like, could you imagine? Fuck me. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it is interesting to, to discuss kind of expectations. And I think it's really difficult to know where to place them. And yeah. it's also like, because I, I mean, I very much view my expectations as almost like a there's a there's a there's a goal in the distance. There's something that we're striving towards. And it's interesting because like we have never had that. Well, not in recent memory anyway, like a we've won a title. Now what? We've always felt like we're in a process and that process shifts and goes, and you know we're always in like, well, you know, if we just get through Almost, the summer, if, and you know, if we get we, three more players in, and do exactly this, do that, it yeah. feels like we're always some kind of degree of a couple of players, a couple of changes, a couple of moves away, and or you know, a, a manager away or whatever it is, and it, it's it is interesting, and especially in the light of the result that we had last night, because you know we go into that game expecting to win you know and and then you wonder where that comes from do you know what i mean olympiakos you know, Olympiakos playing our kids like yeah in exactly. the champions league in like 2010 exactly so, but i guarantee there's no one who's no one listened to this podcast who sat down to watch the arsenal game yesterday and thought oh olympiakos is gonna give us a game here do you know what i mean and they didn't but i think that expectation is interesting considering what's happened over the last 10-15 years and what is happening you know yeah exactly uh, I think it also bears into a conversation that I also think is really interesting about um, uh, about almost like the life cycle of a club in the no club unless you are, uh, look, no matter what you think about Manchester City, um, in when it comes, now it's a situation where they're earning the same amount of money as Liverpool and Manchester United so they can pump in the same amount of money in Liverpool as Manchester United. Whether they got to the top before FFP through like fucking oil, blood money, whatever. They're now at a situation where they- Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Don't don't kill me. Um, They're now in a situation where they can constantly rebuild the squad, throw money at it because of where they came. The same, you know, with, with Chelsea in the sense that they got their Russian oil money in before FFP and got to build kind of what is the modern day era Chelsea. But you, you look at- um, kind of the life cycle of a team. And and I think a fantastic uh, look at this, especially with the derby coming up is Spurs. You look at that, the life cycle of that Spurs team at the moment. Uh, there's rumours going around that they need to sell one of their big stars in the summer for around £80 million because of the stadium move. And the only two real players that you can think of that would garner that sort of money is Harry Kane Winks. or Son. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go, well, if they lose Kane, they're not going to be able to get somebody of the same quality or put that and it's not to it's not selling 80 million to buy players it's selling a player for 80 million to pay debt because they're in a ridiculous amount of debt because of the stadium and you think well Spurs are now looking like they could hit a downturn 
of for the next five to 10, 15 years, even maybe ending up being what Arsenal were, where they will be pillaged for their best young players by clubs with um, less financial restriction because of current situation. And you look at Arsenal and you go, well, we've got a current, like a decent core to the current squad. You know, you look at Gabriel Magalhaes, whatever you think of the William Saliba situation, he's a very, very young, amazing prospect who's balling out at Nice at the moment. And whether we can make that work or not is another question. Uh, we've got Bukayo Saka. We've got Emile Smith-Rowe. Nicolas Pepe isn't particularly old. We've got Gabriel Martinelli. There's there's a lot of kind of reasons to be positive that within kind of the next three, four years, if we get our kind of recruitment right, there's a real room to grow because there is money to be spent. We've spent upwards of obviously not talking about like how much money the club has actually laid out like net spend wise, but we've been spending like hundreds of millions of pounds for the last few seasons. We've just not been spending it well. So with almost the downturn in what will be Spurs, you know, Liverpool are going into a rebuild. There is a real opportunity here. And whilst I think that this there's going to be a lot of negatives within this podcast about and I have a lot of negatives to say about this match going forward. I think it's really important to kind of make sure that we as Arsenal fans can reassure other Arsenal fans that there is a hell of a lot of hope moving mm. forward. Yeah, like there is there is there is all like the it's, it's a really wanky phrase, but the whole um, the night is always darkest before the dawn. Things are really shit now. They are very, very shit. But Come next season, if David Luiz goes out, we bring William Saliba in and we get in three quality players, say at right back, centre mid and striker, as well as keeping Erdegaard. That is a that is such a revitalised team moving forward. There is so much kind of room to be positive about the future that we kind of now just need to keep that in our mind's eye and hope that we can get that right. Yeah, and I, I think your your point about Tottenham is an interesting one and kind of where expectations come from. And, you know, for example, Arsenal this week announced a £47.8 million loss for uh, 1920. Obviously, a lot of clubs are having financial difficulties. But, you know, the question is, do we set our expectations directly off the finances? Do we set it off the where the squad is? Do we set it off where the manager, how long the manager has been there? It's a really interesting debate to be had and we don't have time to go into it now, but... I think it is notable and something that we should all consider, I think, as as fans, just going, what are my actual expectations of this team? All things considered, not reputation, not, you know, I think not sometimes... Not what we did 15 years ago. Yeah, and, and, and being aware that we, we we are working with what we have. And what we have is Willian on the left wing. <laughs> so let's and get into the game. shackled squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um... Was there anything on the lineup that got you? I know I kind of bring it up every every time, but TikTok, Nelson's not played since January the 9th, and Ketty's not played since January the 30th. Yeah. Um, TikTok on those not, guys. But Yeah, not even having them on the bench worries me. Uh, but then it, it becomes a situation of who do you have them on the bench over? Would you prefer Martinelli or Enketia on the bench? Would you prefer... Lacazette or Enketia on the bench would you prefer Nelson or Martinelli or Pepe on the bench you know there's there's a lot of conversations about we're we're very bloated in certain areas areas the only issue is is we're bloated with players who aren't of significant quality uh the there's there's two things for the lineup for me um the first one is again I don't I I had no problem with William playing 
I kind of had a problem with Saka playing in the sense that we saw at the end of the Burnley game, the fatigue seems to be setting in. He looked tired. You know, he was making some very rash decisions and was, was lucky, you know, to not receive a second yellow card during kind of the final embers of the game. The final like 25 minutes, there were a few challenges that realistically, if he'd got a second yellow card, not many Arsenal fans could complain about. And this felt like a perfect opportunity, and we spoke about it in the last one, to have a second goal scorer on the pitch. And it's something that I think really hurt us again last night. Whatever you think, you know, this this scoreline flatters us. We've scored two worldies and we've scored from um, a corner where... Three, three worldies, you could order. Yeah, argue. Well, no, but yeah, oh, of course. I, um, to get on to the Gabriel one, we've scored three worldies and the, the Gabriel one, their centre-back doesn't even jump. And to put it into context, right, I've got the stat here. Arsenal's goals this evening had an XG of 0.02 for the first one, 0.04 for the second one, and 0.01 for the third one. And our XG for the actual game actually comes in at a one-all draw, with us at 1.07 and them at 0.93. Arteta and this team has been... They have been massively bailed out by... You know, I've I've watched the goals again. The goalkeeper should definitely do better on the Erdegaard one. The defender should arguably challenge for the Gabriel one. And then the Elneny one. Again, it's it's an absolute wonder strike that only happens one in every 50. And you just start to really worry. And I tweeted this out that he's not... Arteta isn't learning from his almost lineup mistakes. That not having somebody that is a second goal threat, is an issue for us. And also not having somebody who is willing to interchange and take up a more central position to score goals so Aubameyang can drift out to the left. I think that's one of the reasons Nicolas Pepe worked really well out on that left-hand side, because as Aubameyang was drifting out, Pepe was pushing in. And you had that interchange. And so I'm not saying that for, for me, I probably would have put William on the right hand side and I would have had Pepe on the left and I would have given Saka a rest as rogue as people may think that is. Um, the other thing on the lineup as well, and I think it's a conversation that we can come into later is, is Bellerin. Um, and I don't understand why he started. Um, you, you obviously tagged me in a thread with his stats for the game. And at like a minute and 40 of him, you know, doing some decent work. But a game isn't a minute and 40 seconds long. We can chop up clips of Timu Puki from last season playing for Norwich that makes him look like the best footballer in the world. Olivier Giroud, for example, if you just put together a compilation of, of his best goals ever, like the random scorpion kicks and shit, like his kids will think he was the best striker that ever lived. Sure, but case case for the defence, Hector Bellerin last night, 70 touches, one key pass, four out of four take-ons completed, which was the most, five out of five uh, duels won, which was the best ratio, five ball recoveries, and a crucial block to stop um, a pretty solid goal. I didn't think he was that bad last night. I understand, though, that the lineup is... The selection is different. For, you know, the, the idea that you're going to mm-hmm. play these minutes is different from what they did on the pitch. I understand that. 
Of the, course, the I'm, the I'm, not, I'm not saying player. he played poor. I'm not saying yeah. he played poorly. What I'm saying is, is yeah. In the context of his performances this this season, yeah. it's a strange choice. I understand what you're saying. I have a problem um, with David Luiz. I really do. Oh yeah, it's it's time. It is really time that Rob Holding, Rob Holding is and should be the number one choice right centre back, yeah. and then Saliba comes in and is the number one choice right centre back, or we buy someone because it is just getting to a point where he. Um, I, I've got written on my notes both if David Luiz loses concentration one more time I'm going to lose my head and if David Luiz takes another free kick I'm going to smash my TV he hasn't scored one since 2015 I just wanted to come on to him quickly because I think it's a really really interesting selection because I understand that Arteta gen- generally defaults to experience especially in big European games especially in big Premier League games I understand that but Rob Holding isn't an inexperienced guy. David Luiz, unless he signs another extension, uh, which I can't particularly see happening, may happen, is not going to be here long term. He's, he's, he's certainly not going to be here beyond the 2021-2022 season. That's just not. No. I just can't see it happening. So why we aren't playing, I understand they're both left-footed, but it's not an option. Mari or Holding or Chambers even in that, in that centre-back role. In a big game like this, in the first leg... In a, a game we should be winning, David Luiz, I understand he offers us a bit more going forward than a lot of the centre backs. But if you if you go and watch watch that game last night, he okay, he's he's decent in the build up, but he's not pinging balls, he's not breaking the lines, he's not you know pushing us up so far at the field that we're creating such a high line, putting pressure on them. I don't see he's not doing anything you know, Gabrielle isn't doing. But what I'm saying is I don't see any of the the stuff that David Luiz is, you know, well, we pick David Luiz because he is, you know, he can progress the ball a bit better. He can run out the pitch. There was times where he was caught upfield and he was he was almost like the right wing and he was ambling back. I, I just feel like he's, you know, it's easy analysis to say he's you know picking up a paycheck, but I don't understand Arteta's insistence on playing David Luiz. It just feels so, because it, it's not like I go, okay, I understand that tactically, he offers us a bit of experience and he gets us moving forward. Last night he wasn't doing that. So if he's not of doing course. that, why bother? It's it's again, it's a it's a conversation about um quality uh versus the detriment it has to your team and system. Uh, you know, I we've had obviously like I, I think we've said before whether we are Messi or Ronaldo for the greatest of all time. But to look at Messi, for example, if you want to play him in a team, he's not going to track back, really. He's not going to do a lot of defensive work. He may be doing... He does a fair amount of like pressing and pressure-wise, but that's not why you have him in the team. So you put players around him to cover for those faults. And that's how you build a team. We shouldn't be building a team around David Luiz. And you have to if you play him because there are just so many faults for the very little that he gives you. You can make a case and argument for building a team around kind of Ozil when he was in his prime, around Messi, around Ronaldo, about these, around Trent Alexander-Arnold. You know, he's the worst right back in the league defensively. Obviously, he's not probably somebody like Emmanuel Kraft is, but like, if you compare his creative ability and his creating passing to his defensive work, it's chalk and cheese. So you put a system in play that allows him to flourish because he is elite at what he does. David Luiz isn't elite at what he does. So why are we trying to build a system that allows him to do the very little he can? 
Exactly. And and you you've hit the nail on the head there. Even if David Luiz came out and performed at 100% of what David Luiz can do, it's still not worth building a team around. It's still not how no. worth having him in for, you know, yeah, anyway. Right. So uh, I thought we started out okay. Um I thought Erdegaard looked looked decent in the first um he had a bit of a uh, to use your phrase, a bit of a chalk and cheese game in that he gave two quite sloppy balls away, but he was dropping deep quite nicely, dropping into the right half space, linking play really well, combining um, well with Bellerin on the right hand side, who again I, I think you know had one of his better games, if not the best game. Um, and we kind of that sort of led to our first chance. We had a good bit of combination on that right hand side. Bellerin crosses it in, and Abamyang should score. I think it comes off uh, Socrates' shoulder um, and hits the bar, and we were looking good. Mm. We were looking really good. It was a good cross from Bellerin as well. Yeah. What's on his arm? What? Bellerin's? I'd... Yeah. What's on his his left arm? What is that? No, no clue, mate. <laughs> he's he's had a bandage on his left arm for like half a season, maybe more. I don't know what it is. Is it like covering a tattoo? M- maybe. Or maybe it's like... Mikel. Maybe it's Mikel Arteta's nudes just stuffed up there. Maybe. Um, I want to highlight something that I th- I feel like we're we're missing as well, and and actually it kind of comes off the David Luiz um, conversation. He's a dead ball specialist, someone who oh, I God. someone who I believe. So you know, for example, if we had James Ward Prowse in our team, I'm not I'm not selecting him. I don't know much about James Ward Prowse. I only know him for his prowls prowess. Terrible, shut up, Alex. For his prowess with uh, with dead balls, right? But if you ha- so sorry, it was poor, poor. You shouldn't you shouldn't <laughs> award me with any more uh, laughs. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, like I thought award. You know, we had- <laughs> okay, he's got it. So, oh, hang on, our doorbells rang. You're still laughing at that, that was, joke. That was, oh, I really enjoyed it. It was a woman asking for... An, it was an emergency bucket collection for people who are struggling and sick in hospitals. What can I say? I, I was just like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm on I don't, a work I, call. I don't have any money. I've got a work call. Any, yeah. Like, do you take contactless? Like... <laughs> <laughs> just and then she like looks so disappointed when I'm like I'm so sorry oh god anyway um yeah I thought if we've got Saka and part of the reason if we're gonna have players like Saka and Erdegaard and Pepe in our team who and I know he didn't play last night but you know in, in general who are gonna draw a lot of fouls I think a really good investment actually partly why I was for Saboslai being bought is someone who of those three. One of them looks like it's going to go in. It's such a, it's such an asset, and and mm. if we're winning those things, we have to take advantage of them. Their shots on target, fine, but they're all at the keeper. They're all a bit tame. There's, I think one was by Jacker, one was by Louise, and one was by one was by Abamyang. Abamyang, and like we're and he puts all it, he puts we need a specialist. Side. Yeah, we need yeah. a specialist because the issue is is you need somebody and we saw Pepe do it. He scored two goals in one game in the Europa League last season, I think it was, and I think that. At the end of the day, he wouldn't be a bad option to have on these free kicks because there's also, I remember he did score a few free kicks, I think, in the French League. He wouldn't be like a horrific option, but the issue is obviously then we're not playing him. So I think, again, that comes as more of a question of having that second goal threat, that Nicola Pepe or whoever you want it to be 
inside forward playing on the left or the right channel being just able to take a free kick, which Pepe can, but if Pepe's not the man, then we need to sign somebody who is. Um, but yeah, there, there is, and also like, we need to just pick a corner taker and rehearse that person taking corners because whilst we got a goal from a short corner last night, there have been so many times when I've seen corners hit the first or second defender and there's and even when they don't, they're not particularly good balls in. With, they, yeah. They've not got enough like whip and speed on them so a defender can just glance it in. It tends to be like attempts like Gabrielle's last night where it's yeah. floated to the back post and the defender or whoever's challenging for it has it all to do yeah. to even get it on target, let yeah. alone get it in. And and I, I guess there's two schools of thought in that, you know, you don't want to overly rely on someone because if they're not on, then, you know, I understand that, you know, you're, you kind of lose an advantage at set pieces. But if you have three corner separate corner takers and three separate free, you know, it would be Willian, Saka and Erdegaard taking the corners. And last night it was Xhaka, Louise and Aubameyang taking the free kicks. That's a lot of, that's a lot of different styles and types of, of set pieces. And I understand they're, they're different set pieces. I understand that. But in terms of, if you have someone who's just good at all of them, good at free kicks, good at corners, good at all that sort of stuff, you, you know what to expect. Have one or two people who are really good at it rather than six or seven people who are kind of okay at it. Yeah. It just feels like a little advantage that we can, that we can hopefully address in the I summer. I think it but, just um, depends what you should, well, I think personally, and this is my opinion, what, you should do is have whoever it depends on the free if you're taking a shot from the free kick it should be the same person every time like if you're planning to shoot from the yeah, free direct kick, free kick have it direct free kick have it the same person like every time because sometimes people do just need sighters we've seen it you know pepe's first chance against burnley he miscues which is inexcusable but it's the first time the ball has rolled to his feet in that position in that game so if you bring him on 15 minutes earlier and he's already had a couple of opportunities and he's warmed into the game, maybe it's a different story. So you just have that where you have, if this is going to be a shot, Pepe takes the free kick. And then you just go, okay, we have two corner takers, one right footer and one left footer. And if it's a free kick where the ball is being lofted into the area and that's the plan, you still have Pepe stand over the ball just to give kind of that whole, is it going to be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you have, if it's Willian or Saka, be the ones to float yeah. the ball in. Yeah, I, I'd love to get... A and set then they piece. take your corners as well. Yeah, I'd love to know? get a set-piece coach's analysis on all that because I, I realise that I'm probably not the Again. expert on it. <laughs> but, exactly. You know, <laughs> but, like, it, it does seem strange to me. And, I, I if, yeah, it, it feels like we do things differently to a lot of other, other teams on that. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to highlight something that there was something that came out in um, Aaron Catterson Reedy wrote an article for someone else, not the different, not disgusting. Um, and uh, he sort of <laughs> highlighted how um, Olympiakos played with really high and wide fullbacks. I thought that was really um, astute and actually played out in the game. And we were getting all the joy in the right and left hand half space, actually on the wings. I thought I thought William was seeing a lot of the ball, um, and it's it, it was interesting because we see the progression from Willian and we see the um the wall passes and we see you know what he can do and he can you can kind of cut inside and double up on that left-hand side uh, and also drop a little bit and become a bit of a third midfielder or become an option but i think he just i don't know what it is but he doesn't quite have the um what's the word attacking 
intent that Saka has. So to create, to, if we have those spaces, if the fullbacks are high and wide further into our half, if we have those spaces, they know we're only going to attack with Saka and they know Willian's going to look inside. So it became a little bit predictable. It became a little bit obvious. And I think we just kind of stuttered a little bit as Olympiacos kind of worked us out. Um, I'd love to see some more pressure generally uh, on this kind of rotational fouling on Saka. Um, I think another reason we got stunted in that sort of period, sort of beyond sort of 20 minutes, as well as Willian not really offering much attacking wise and not really exploiting those spaces, I felt was because they were breaking down Saka. And, you know, just a word in the referee's ear before the game or, if you know, there's, there can't be that many referees in the Premier League or in the world. Like, if you, you're going to come up with the same referees every so often. If you tell every referee you meet, look, they're going to try and get a Saka I'm not asking you to do anything. I just want you to know that because this happens every single time in every single game. You can't expect the referees who are A, human and B, not perfect to know that. You know, you, I think, you know, whoever it is, the captain needs to be saying to the referee before the game, look, they are going to do this because every team does it. Every, Spurs will do it at the weekend. I promise you Spurs will do it at the weekend. They'll rotationally foul Saka and someone needs to step up and go, hey, look, watch. This This happens every single weekend, happens every single match and it's not cool and, it's, and it stutters us because we had space. Olympiacos were there for the taking but... And we saw it from the free kicks, but but Saka was being targeted and it really pisses me off. Yeah, and it, it, it does, again, just come to kind of a player protection point of view that it isn't going to be long before one of those fouls ends up being serious for, you know, just poor timing. You know, um, the moment where Hyung Min Son gets sent off for um, breaking Andre Gomez's leg. You know, that's that's a completely like it's a not, it's a barely anything foul that just from the co- collision, the way both players have fallen and from the contact has you know broken a player's leg. We've seen it lots and lots. You're, you've seen it with, you know, very, very talented technical players being fouled so much that they pick up injuries because of it. And all it takes is one one uh, one of these challenges happening on some blades of grass that are slightly more like wet if it's raining and then they, but both players slip the wrong way and Saka snaps his ACL and it comes from a nothing challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And it is about, and I like even, even if this should be, and I'm not, I've, obviously I think that we, we're saying it because we're, we're just pissed off that like, we're not able to exploit Saka's ability in, in creating opportunities. But I, I, I think that this should be the same if this is anyone, you know, if if people are repeatedly fouling, if if for example, if we start rotationally fouling Hyung Min Son on Sunday, we will say something about it on Monday because it is it's it is dangerous play. If you commit a foul and it's an accident, well, as in like or as in like it's just a mistime challenge, then fair enough. But if it is a choice to rotationally have your defensive minded players just go out and foul someone. You are giving your players license, whether accidentally or purposefully, to injure someone. And mm. as much as people go, oh, yeah, but it's the dark arts of the game. Well, no, it's just it's it's just cheating. It's trying to avoid bookings. Yeah, it's yeah. trying to it's this it's sim, it's for me, it's almost the same as simulation in the sense yeah. of you're just trying to get around the rules and trying to get around something. I mean, there is an argument that like, if you can't beat him, join him, right? And I think we don't do enough of that. But equally, I do agree with you that 
that there more needs to be done, especially when it's so plain to every fan and everyone yeah. who's watching the game what's happening. It clearly Saka is one of our best players. Clearly, they targeted him, and you know they they were doing other things. You know they were they were shutting down our passing lanes really well. They were pressing us in the right places, but um, yeah, I mean, and luckily. Odegaard took that shot. I mean, it's poor from the keeper, but what a finish that is! And it Absolute kind of it kind of reminded me oh. what we missed or what we miss from midfield. Um, and it's not necessarily those kind of low xG shots in the Premier League this season. No central midfielder has scored a goal apart from Xhaka's free kick. So nothing from open play. So none from Elneny, none from Partey, none from Xhaka, none from Ceballos. And having someone in those positions who is going to shoot, I think kind of just took them off off guard a little bit. I think they were just like, what? (laughs) From all the scouting that they've done, that's not where our goal threat comes. It comes from cutbacks and, you know, in the box kind of stuff and and, and nice pattern, very, very structured Arteta play. So it was nice to see a bit of initiative taken. I think the ball went 60 miles an hour. And what a finish that was. Yeah. Uh, The strike itself is unbelievable. Again, like you said, the keeper could do a bit better, but... one thing we, and I think it is something that needs to be improved upon in the summer is um, a central midfielder who can chip in with five, e- even if it's just five goals, it is just upping those numbers. And then if we have an inside forward who scores 10 to 15, it's just, again, upping our goal threat. Because at the moment, our strike, our, our one goal threat in Abamyang doesn't even occupy that number nine space. And that's really, Im- and, I, and, and I know it doesn't, it suits his game to, to drift out to the left, but there are so many moments when, you know, somebody is out on the right-hand side or anything and you're looking and Aubameyang isn't in that number nine space and no one is. So they're not going to, they're not crossing it into anyone. That it, It's basically just an empty space, which is why you do need somebody who can, exploit the other side of it almost yeah it we need again i think it all comes down to a lot of our frailties are things that you know we need to fix in the summer because even if we had pepe on the pitch who's a second goal threat he wouldn't be taking up that number nine space yeah yeah for sure and and you know centrally those are the most important spaces yeah not having somebody almost like a fox in the box who can pick up those central areas so that because for a lot of for a team that does a hell of a lot of cutbacks and a hell of a lot of crossing, we don't have a number nine to be there to finish to finish. We have kind of an auxiliary striker who likes to drift out to the left and float out on the wing and cut inside and do all of this like fancy shit, which is great because when it when it comes off, you know, you're talking about his hat trick against Leeds and you're talking about the goal against Burnley. You know, when it comes off, it's brilliant. But then when we're in a situation where that's not working, not having a number nine that is a number nine re for, for for the amount of crosses we slap into the box just really really it's almost oxymoronic you know we've got this like this juxtaposed situation where we're playing a striker that's not a striker really in in a traditional mold but we're playing to the benefit or to the to the strengths of a traditional mold number nine absolutely in, we're doing a lot of cutbacks and a lot of crossing and yeah Mate, I think I, well, I'll come on to my point for the second half now, then now, because that perfectly leads on. The, the thing that I was going there for is about the fullbacks. If we're going to play fullbacks high and wide against 
a, what essentially is a low block or certainly a, a line of five Olympiacos players. And we have one player in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who is on any of their shoulders. You have one player. You cannot make triangles. You cannot make any kind of chances. You can't create anything. And we spent this whole long period before we um before we made the changes and before we pushed Sabas a bit further forward to kind of create those triangles. We had this long period where we had Saka and Erdegaard basically staring at a line of Olympiacos players, Aubameyang on one of their shoulders, the fullbacks high and wide, and Willian nowhere to be seen. What can they do? Because you can't create something out of nothing and you, you need combinations. You need, you need one-twos around the box to, to, if you're going to play that style. And I think something that frustrated me is how isolated Aubameyang was. If you have Pepe who could run at them, you can break that line a little bit. You can you can move that um, or you get them so far back that they that they that you just start taking shots. And that's what we started doing and, and it worked out. But it really frustrated me that for so long during that game, we were, I mean, when did we make the changes? Hang on. Like the 80th minute? We made the changes, the 80s, well, yeah. So we brought Ceballos on at the 55th um, fifty-fifth minute and then the rest were 82nd and 88th. And I think Elneny coming on kind of shifted it a bit. But, but but equally, there was such a long period of the game where this just this isolation of Aubameyang was happening. And, and it's so frustrating to watch because you want one of the fullbacks to cut inside and create the triangle. You want one of, you know, someone from midfield to create something. And, and it just feels so much is put upon him. Uh, and that's not where he's best, as you, as you said. So it just felt so frustrating. Yeah, and I think the, the one thing that would almost, again, to talk about Bellerin as well. And, you know, Bellerin almost has this, I don't know if it's instructional or just a deep line love for cutting on the inside rather than overlapping. If Aubameyang preferred to float out to the right, that'd be perfect. Because then you'd have so many more options and you would have that marauding fullback who wants to cut in on the inside of his right winger. The issue is, is Tierney is better on the byline and whipping crosses in. And obviously we saw from his goal against Benfica that he definitely has the ability to kind of be the underlap and then wriggle and, you know score a fucking brilliant goal but if if we're talking about what both of our fullbacks are best at it's Bellerin on the inside and Tierney on the outside so if if Aubameyang was a more was maybe left-footed it would be perfect but it's not which is why having a, a Pepe on the pitch or a second goal scorer is so vitally important and I, I think I, I said it earlier but this is why this game for me is really worrying as a fan, because I start to go, he's either too arrogant to change from his game plan or he's too naive to learn from his mistakes. And personally, I don't know which is worse because I go, if he's too naive, well, then you can at least go, oh, well, you know, he's a new coach, but he's been in the job 18 months. So it is now getting to the point where you have to start, you know, you have to like if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. Like he's been in the job for a long, like he's been in the job for a, a, a fucking a fair amount of time. So there, there is almost this. And obviously you can talk about the fact that, you know, play managers like Ollie, you know, have had 10 years of experience or whatever. He's no longer a new manager. And if it's the naivety, I, I really worry. And if it's the arrogance, it's almost worse because it's being detrimental to our team to be detrimental to our team. 
Uh, and I was, uh, because of the um, illegal stream that I was watching on, it was in Portuguese. <laughs> um, I, so I wanted, I wanted some level of commentary. Uh, and Hugh Wizzy, you know, I've not mentioned him in like oh, 10 he's episodes. Back. Big up the man. He's back. He's back. I put on his, um, his watch along for, for the game just to have some level of commentary. And the guy that he was doing it with and him brought up a really good point that there seems to be almost this incessant insistence to make William work. Incessant insistence, incessant insistence, incessant insistence. Uh, fair enough there seems to be almost this this desire to make willian work so much that we're it's because it's on arteta he pushed for the sign one exactly one we're destroying an asset in pepe and two it's to the detriment of how we play because we're not threatening enough going forward it shouldn't be a question of willian versus pepe it should be a question of Willian versus Saka. And then on that left-hand side, it should be a question of Pepe versus Martinelli. It should be a question of second goal threat, who is performing better in training, Pepe or Martinelli, or creative-minded right, uh, creative minded winger, who is performing better in training, Saka or Willian. They should be the two options from now on. But we're just not seeing that. And I really start to worry that it is just going to cause us the same issues and we will drop points. And it will just get to a point where Arteta's situation might become untenable if he if we hit another run of like really, really poor form and he continues with these the, the same vein of things that, you know fucking backseat drivers like me can see are an issue it's like Saliba for example has gone out to Nice has spent six months there and is playing better than David Luiz is is playing better than arguably Rob Holding has this season obviously in a different league uh, probably than Pablo Mari and you're looking that and uh, that and you're going well he could be our right centre back right now, but we've sent him out on loan. The same with Gwendozi. Now I know obviously Gwendozi has a lot of issues, but when we we spoke about it in Lone Watch, Gwendozi statistically has more defensive numbers than El Neni. I'm also pretty sure he's got more defensive numbers than Granite Xhaka, and we have the distribution. He's in a different in team. We, they, they it's don't a different team. Base. I know. Yeah. Oh, oh no, a hundred percent. And I know it's but defending when you've got most of the ball is very different to def- to defending when you've got 30% of the ball. You have to be more on it. And obviously there's more opportunities for tackles and everything, but it does just worry me that his ego will at some point get in the way of us progressing. You know, his ego about this Saliba situation in that there's now talk that we might send him out on loan again for another season and Nice are interested in keeping him for another season, which is why there's talk of a new contract for David Luiz. And there's, you know, obviously um, it's come out that it looks like we're going to look to sell Matteo Guendouzi this summer. I just do worry that there is a certain amount of ego there that means that he is not able to swallow this humble pie of okay I was wrong I will integrate you into the team and 
for Gwenduzi, it's not that much of an issue because I I think with the way that stylistically we're playing moving forward, Gwenduzi doesn't fit that. So maybe, you know, we should give him a new contract and have him be the fourth choice centre midfielder next season, give him a run out in some of the cup games and the league and then look to move him on just to try and boost the money we get for him. But Saliba looks to perfectly suit the way that we're playing. He's got great distribution. He's really physical. He's good in the tackle. He's one of... um, the only players I think le- left since he joined that hasn't been dribbled past yet in Liga. Like he's performing phenomenally in a league that has uh, Wissam Ben Yedda, uh, Mbappe, Neymar, um, Memphis Depay, Hussam Awa, like brilliant attacking talents. Like he's performing very, very well. If this is a situation where we send him out again, I then start to get very, very worried about where we are going moving forward. And it, it links back to the conversation that we were having earlier. And I know we've gone off on a bit of like this this weird road, but tangents FT, FC, <laughs> hashtag. You, um, tangent. It, it comes back to the, to the conversation earlier about expectations. I have an expectation of the manager to do what is best for the club, not is what's best for himself. And to bring it back to the game, what's best for the club and form going forward is to play a second goal scorer. And... That is Nicolas Pepe or Martinelli, not Willian. So it worries me that we are, pers- even though Willian's, you know, he's grabbed an assist, he's performed well. Okay, then start him over Saka and give Saka a rest. Like, what's this is the issue is we're not rotating somebody on the right hand side and then we're flitting about on this left hand side whilst creating. 1.07 xg against a side that realistically with the quality of players that we've got we should be dominating we should be absolutely dominating this team you know even though there are players in this lineup that i don't think should get anywhere near our first team going forward if we want to progress to a champions league level team we should still be dominating olympiakos we should still be putting them to bed 3 or 4-1 but not having to score wonder goals to do it well, I think we were dominating. And actually, we, you know, we, we came out second half and, you know, the triangles were appearing. Um, we looked a little bit more on it. Um, my frustration is we we very infrequently break the lines. But I think part another part of the, the conundrum you kind of put up there is perhaps Arteta's... Maybe, maybe that arrogance or whatever it is... Or naivety, to, to, or, or whatever it is, to 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 stick with the same players who are beating ourselves. You know, there was a moment with Louise um, just before, again in that thirty nine minutes to forty five minute sort of period where he gives the ball away, and they they really should have scored. I just want to read this out to you. So, definition of self harm: since August twenty seventeen in the Premier League, most penalties conceded, Arsenal with twenty three; most errors leading to goals, Arsenal with thirty five. Most red cards, Arsenal with 14, with nine under Mikel Arteta. And in the 2021, uh, in the 2020-20, you know what I mean? That's it, this season. Yeah, uh, this season. Uh, <laughs> we've had the joint most own goals with three. Yeah. And Now, I wanted to talk to you is... about something that I, I did a bit of research for. Every single goal we have conceded this calendar year in 2021 has been from our own errors. Now, I've written them all down. I've gone through. I've looked at the footage. Southampton, no one picks up Armstrong. He gets a free shot at the top of the box. And then in the FA Cup, it's an own goal from Gabriel. Wolves, we all know what happened with Wolves. Villa, it's the Cedric moment. Leeds, Bellerin loses Rafinha. And then we're ball watching from a corner. 
David Luiz is ball watching, doesn't spot the incoming runner and he gets there in front of him and nods it home. Against City, Raheem Sterling jumps up and wins a header. Against Benfica, the first time, Smith Rowe gives away a penalty for handball in the box. The second time, it was an unreal free kick and the Ceballos error. Leicester, the Mari Xhaka El Nenny fuck up where nobody presses and Tillemans just gets a free run at goal. Burnley, the Xhaka moment. And then tonight, the Ceballos moment. You know, every single goal, bar an exceptional wow. free kick against Benfica, <laughs> we have conceded this calendar year. Literally every single one has come from individual moments where we have beaten ourselves. But do you know what sticks out to me? And that's that? fucking mental. Yeah, it that is. is mental. It is, it is. And do you know what sticks out to me there? Is there's names there that keep cropping up. And there's three that you yeah. mentioned there. And there's Xhaka, Luis and Ceballos. All three of whom played last night. And at some point, um, you have to look. You have to question the manager who keeps selecting them if they're going mm-hmm. to keep having these moments. And it wasn't just the mm-hmm. moments that lead to goals; it was constantly giving away balls. David Luiz was giving 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 balls away, selecting the wrong pass. And you're going, this isn't the first time. This isn't the last time. So why, unless there's a stern, if you keep doing that, I will drop you. I understand maybe you don't want to put the pressure on and whatever, but ultimately we're not talking about fuck David Luiz's reputation and his, you know, his opinion of himself or whatever. We're talking about millions of pounds here for a football club going from eighth to sixth or sixth to fourth or whatever it is. Switch on, switch the fuck on. And the the real scary part of what, you know, I just read out and the research that I did is that that doesn't even include the really poor run of form we went on after beating United. So if we looked at that as well and looked at all of the moments where we made the errors and we beat ourselves in that period of time, you're talking about nearly a sixth, like a six month span of football. We beat them in what, November? So you're talking about from November to March, most of the goals that we have conceded have been our own fault. And obviously, you know, that that's football. Every goal you concede is your own fault in a sense because you've conceded a goal. But what I mean is, Teams aren't having to do anything special. Teams aren't having to break us down. They're not having to work hard. They are being gifted easy opportunities and scoring them against us. Because that's, you know, they're just just doing their job. They're just competently finishing the chances that we are giving them. Speaking of which... It's really, really worrying. Speaking Speaking of of which... which, uh, Leno plays the ball into Ceballos. We don't need to break it down massively. It's It's been dealt with already. In my opinion, again, and Arteta kind of touched on it in his post-match saying something like, we need to be clearer when, we, when we're going to make those decisions, when we pass, when we go long. Kind of shifting the blame onto Leno. I understand, again, I'm not trying to go, it's all someone's fault, it's all someone else's fault. It's a situation, a team, we win as a team, we lose as a team. I, I don't massively like, in those moments, being like, it's definitely this person when it's not clearly their problem. In the same way with the Xhaka thing, Leno probably shouldn't have played it to him. But in that situation, to absolve a professional footballer in Danny Ceballos from Real Madrid to not get out of that situation, don't know, man. Like I saw a lot of Leno slander and I'm going, okay, yeah, it probably shouldn't have played. Maybe, maybe should have gone long. But Ceballos in that situation, if he just knocks it around the corner, we're fine and we've taken three or four players out of yeah. the game. So I don't understand. There's this huge thing, especially amongst Arsenal fans, to go... It's either 100% this person's fault or 100% yeah. this person's fault. 
It's a, it's a combination of the two. And if you're a professional yeah. footballer, you've got to be dealing with that situation better. 100%, 100%. And this is, what I, this is what I experienced on Twitter against Burnley. Is that all He's I was saying was... <laughs> Leno... No, no, but as in like, it's the same thing. Still is, annoyed about it. As fans, it. we are... No, but as in, not to talk about that, but just to, to kind of expand on what you're saying. As fans, we are so obsessed with absolutes and have it, and being like, Granite Jack is a terrible footballer because he's, you know, he's made the most errors leading to goal. That's obviously fucking shit and stupid. Yeah, we'd never say that on the show. No chance. He can he can pass the ball <laughs> very, very well. Just like we like Bellerin last night put in a a five out of ten competent performance. Five, six out of ten competent performance. So people who slander for the Twitter phrasing Bellerin will then be picking on the specific moments in the game where he's given the ball away or hasn't put in a good enough cross and it hasn't done anything for us. And then people that champion Bellerin will go, well, no, look at his numbers. He put in a phenomenal shift. You know, the truth is always in the middle of both of these scenarios. Bellerin was a five or six out of 10 last night. Fine. The issue with Bellerin is not his ability if he's performing at 100%. The issue with Bellerin is he performs at 100% three or four games out of a 38-game season. And this 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 thing with Leno um, and Ceballos, I agree with you. I think this one is a little... Again, if you were to talk about percentage-wise, I think for the Burnley incident, it's 50-50 because the, the margins are, are a lot closer. They're a lot closer to the box and the Burnley players are a lot closer to Granit Xhaka than the Olympiacos players are to um, Danny Ceballos. But again, there is an easy option to David Luiz on that right-hand side who is free and it's a better pass to take. And something that somebody highlighted on Twitter is Leno's positioning when receiving the ball to distribute. And I think this is the one, this is one of the key differences between uh, what we saw when we had Emmy in net in the back end of last season. And what we're seeing now is the position that Leno receives the ball in means that he cuts off his own options. Half the time he's in a poor position to receive it. So he doesn't have the option of spreading the play to um, David Luiz. That was that was that that was the moment against Burnley. He receives it in a poor position. So one of the only passes that he can make is to Xhaka. And that is where he needs to improve. But I agree with you. Sabayos needs to be able to get out of that situation more than Granite Xhaka needed to be able to because he's got so much time and space to just knock it round the corner first time. And the ball is coming into his stronger foot. Like it's a, like it's a difference, you know, obviously football players shouldn't have a ridiculously shit one foot and a great other foot like Xhaka does. And so you're saying, well, you know, Xhaka's having to take it on his weak foot. That shouldn't be an issue. It's a side foot pass, but it is on Ceballos' stronger foot. There is, there is no excuse for this happening. And I think it is less Leno's fault this game than it is Ceballos's fault. But that doesn't mean that Leno yeah, is absolved of all yeah. responsibility for starting the issue in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought Gabriel has some really good moments. He got a goal and an assist and a key pass. Uh, I think he was 100% success rate in aerial duels and he got um, something like, you know, an interception away. You know, you can read through the stats or whatever. But, but you know, on the eye test, he, he had a fantastic game. 
Um, 91% pass accuracy. Yeah, and and the goal. And, you know, uh, it was an absolutely towering header. It was at that point in the game where the frustrations, Arsenal versus Arsenal, felt like it was being played again. And um, yeah. it was just a great moment to score. Like, I think, obviously, there's never a bad time to score, but that moment felt like a good time to score. It was, you know, before things got hairy, before, before questions started being asked, before we all got too antsy. Uh, Gabriel just towering header and... I won't go into the VAR thing. That pissed me off. Uh, Jan, was it Jan and Via? It's strange that Jan and Via was playing for Olympiacos because he signed for Arsenal about four times, didn't he? Um, the, I, was it VAR? I just thought that they were... Yeah. He was injured. No, they var He was down it. injured. Oh, fucking piss take. Anyway, I think Arteta spotted... Because Ceballos offers you absolutely no structure at all. He literally runs around like a headless chicken chasing the ball. You know, he popped up on, on the right wing at one point. He was popping up in the left. We he's, should not. We should never sign this man on a permanent no. deal. He needs to go back to Real Madrid and go and go to Brighton for Christ's sake. Or but, somewhere. It, but it's no uh, coinc- sh- but it's no coincidence that once once he was pushed a little bit further forward, um, El Nani structured the team. We looked a lot more dangerous, and actually El Nani was given the space and hit a fucking rocket. And the El Nenesance oh, continues. The El Nenesance continues. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on the game, Brad? It was, I, th- I just think it was a really interesting game to to analyze, especially because realistically, like this should have been a one-all draw, and we've absolutely gotten out of it with two absolute wonder goals. That header from Gabrielle is a phenomenal piece of technique slash luck. Uh, okay, well okay. then, well we'll see you after this. News and Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views. But mostly ours. Uh, at Alfie Dewan has asked us if Willian is the best player in the world with uh, four... <laughs> could see Brad just pulsating. Four games and four assists. What do you reckon, uh, Brad? I think he's he's forgetting about a certain somebody who played for Arsenal a little while ago. Yeah, yeah, Sonoga. Who should never be forgotten. Lord Bentner. Lord Bentner. Uh, Finnan has said he's a B-Tech and Zogbia, which I think is fair. Uh, we've had a serious one in from... Um, uh, oh, firstly, actually, we've had a, a comment in from Octoguna, who says he just listened to our last episode and he said he needs to hear you sing. So come on, oh, Brad. I heard this. I saw, I, I saw the banter. Come on, Brad, you, let's you go. You throwing out. Give no, us, no, mate. Starting you got to pay me for that. Uh, there you go. Give us a little happy birthday. Uh, oh, lovely. There we go. Look at that tilt. Uh, we've had a serious one in oh, from you know me love a, love a bit of tilt that's all I can do mate <laughs> AFC71 who is at Eric John 42807717 comment on Arteta looking pissed off after the game do you think teacups were thrown in the dressing room I hope so but I think one thing that I, I texted you and um, and you found it quite amusing the whole after we'd won the game when I when I said all my problems with what had just happened and then went <laughs> but up the fucking gooners Mikel is generational we're winning the league or something um, is that I understand wanting to throw teacups he does need to look at himself a bit though because he picks the team this is nothing new and please I'm so sorry Brad can I just can I just read your do you want to read the text ups? yeah read them out read them out Arteta is so pissed off Getting to a point where I really worry. 9.31. 9.45. Mikel is generational. <laughs> Tie over. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, uh, that, that's, there's not enough. There's, you, you're, you're picking and choosing. 
<laughs> the actual full conversation was was chatting about, and then I said, it should never have taken until the 80th minute to make an attacking sub. Just mental. But yeah, up the fucking Gooners, Mikel is generational, three away goals, tie is over. There you go. And it's been said on this podcast that we polarise too much, that Arsenal fans, you know, yeah. have one, one crazy opinion and then just veer <laughs> to the next one. That would never be you, Brad, would it? I love at one point, never, I love at one point in the podcast, you said something like, um, oh, Arsenal fans say something like, oh, Jack is shit. And it's not that he's shit. It's just like, <laughs> just thinking, how many clips could I get from the different podcasts? Oh, so just, many, so many. Just saying, Jacker's fucking shit. But he's a, he's a, the thing is, right, it's, it's all relative because he is a professional footballer. Like, yeah. if we came up against him in Sunday League, he'd rip us to fucking shreds. But he the issue is, would, yeah. is, He's playing in Europe. Like it, it's about levels of things. Isn't yeah, it? it's relative. It's relative. It's relative. It's all fucking yeah. relative, mate. Exactly. Mikel is generational. <laughs> up the fucking Gooners. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. it. That's it. <laughs> okay, Brad. We're doing the Arsenal trivia, which we do every time. Yeah. Uh, why every did time. the original Woolwich Arsenal call themselves Dial Square? Do you know? No. No, he doesn't. In late 1886, a gaggle of workers, this is from the Arsenal website, they put a gaggle of workers, which I've not a big fan of, from the Woolwich Arsenal Armament Factory decided to form a football team. They called themselves Dial Square as a reference to the sundial atop the entrance to the factory. Fair enough. That's really cool. There you go. It's <laughs> not that cool. Uh, okay. And then, okay, next question. It was in 2018. Forbes estimated the club was the blank most valuable in England, being worth US dollars blank billion. Fill in those blanks. So basically the question is, where is the club in terms of valuation in England? Uh, First, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. And how much is it worth in US dollars? It is in to the billions. Any ideas, Brad? No, uh, I'd say we're probably maybe fourth or fifth because I think history might save us in the sense that, and, you know, history might save us in that, you know, there's quite a large fan base from our glory days. And Billy, I think it's something like maybe three, three and a half billion, maybe. I prefer, I prefer not to speak. I prefer not to prefer speak. Not to speak. Uh, all right, Brad. Good pod. Ugh. Good pod. On to the derby next. <laughs> On to the derby. How are you feeling? I think... I'm positive about this. I think that if okay. hopefully we start a second goal scorer, we can really get at this lot. Okay. Kane penalty bingo? What minute? Uh, 42nd, David Luiz loses concentration again and brings him down in the box. Yeah. I yeah, for, I'm going just before half time. It's it's a very or or like a minute in just before half time, or at that like annoying juncture where it's been like nil nil. We play really well and they score like the 78th minute or something like that, where it's just not quite enough time oh, to get back into yeah. it. Yeah, I'm going there. I'll I'll stick with 42 with you. We'll we'll be wrong together. Uh, all right, Brad. All right, mate. Pleasure as always. Thanks very much for listening, and we will see you after the North London Derby. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.